Circle Podcast on Hacker Public Radio. In this episode, Paul Levy on learning to dance with spiders. Hello world, and welcome to the Full Circle Podcast on Hacker Public Radio. This episode consists of an interview with entrepreneur, thinker, and author Paul Levy, the founder of Cats 3000 and Rational Madness, and author of the play Texts. Paul is also convener of the Critical Incident Unconference, which together leads to Learning to Dance with Spiders, a workshop in which Paul shares some experiments from his book about living consciously with your mobile phone and staying intact in the world of social media. It's truly groundbreaking, uncomfortable, but surprisingly useful. The Full Circle Podcast is the companion to Full Circle Magazine, the independent magazine for the Ubuntu community. Find us at fullcirclemagazine.org forward slash podcast. So my first guest, I, I don't really know how to introduce. His name is Paul Levy. We've known each other for quite a few years from various things that we've got up to in Brighton, down on the south coast. And, and I, was just, I was just looking to see how best to introduce you, Paul, because you've got so many strings to your bow. You, you, you're like a one-man orchestra. Founder of Cats 3000, heading up the Rational Madness Theatre Group, producing the, the Fringe Review Theatre Reviews, Convening the Critical Instant on Conference, which we were at during the summer. You're also a fellow at Centrum for the University of Brighton. A bit of a renaissance man. It sounds like I need to retire, actually. <laughs> Good evening. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah. Good. I think they, they probably all tie together somehow, but I'm not quite sure how. Some, some of the themes that we were, we were touching on at the Critical Instant earlier in the year which I talked about on the podcast and put a couple of blog posts in about earlier in the summer. That was all about personal change, wasn't it? And a lot of your work that you do with companies and small businesses and organizations is all about change and development and learning. How, how, how do you care to tie the theater connection into that? I think where that came about was I was actually looking for a way of sharing, I suppose, some of my own ideas about the world and started to realize that one of the most direct ways of doing that these days was was through the medium of art. And my background's always been in theater. So I got very, very interested in how you could just put on a, a theater play and, and get it to say something, because it seems to address not just the head, but drama seems to address the heart too. And as long as you're not too preachy about it, I think you can get ideas across and encourage reflection through drama. So that's been one of the and I know I write, I write books and that kind of stuff too. That even, even that doesn't seem to quite do it sometimes like um, a good scene from a play. On the theme of ideas and heads and hearts, one of the sessions that you facilitated at the Critical Incident was that strange thing that you called learning to dance with spiders. We all walked in not knowing quite what we were going to get and you kind of brought lots of people up, up short and suddenly had them... Um, examining their own sort of uh, behaviours and, and habits. Do you just want to tell us what the, the basic idea behind learning to dance with spiders, um, what it was and where it came from? 
Well, we were putting together a piece of theatre called Text, which was exploring the whole world of relationships on mobile phones. And part of the background to that, we were playing around with film, was I actually came across a bit of film, where you always find it these days on YouTube, of a jumping spider. And, and its little kind of front, I don't know what you call them, paws or pincers, were tapping away just like something we'd been doing on Blackberries when we were rehearsing, which were people's thumbs on mobile phones. At some point we were playing with iPhones. I put one bit of the film over the film of the rehearsal, and suddenly the thumbs and the spider was very similar. And, and that connected with an intuition I've had for a while, that this wonderful set of inventions that are around mobile phones, social media, laptops, that when you actually watch people, some tapping away, and, and it's interesting when people can get into conversations using fingertips is even as it can be fast and amazing and witty and clever and quick there's something kind of i don't know cold and intellectual and spidery about it too and that was something that i was looking at it's the dual nature of this technology that even as we embrace it and have the equivalent now of almost psychic connection across the world there are people and this was what text explored finding more intimacy through their fingertips through a keyboard and being more open and sending more XXX kisses uh, than they are actually in their physical tactile relationships. And there's some kind of feeling here that, you know, that it was something actually you can find in some forms of art too around technology that the most advanced technologies, you know, and, and there's comics about aliens are from spider-like intellectual cold beings. And, and, you know, my own view is that that's not what I would like humanity to evolve into. And I think one of the things that we found in that workshop session that you led was to do with behaviours and how we are possibly sleepwalking unknowingly or unthinkingly into a new set of behaviours as that technology evolves. I think there's a couple of really interesting books around at the moment. Jaron Lanier's book's been around for a while about You Are Not A Gadget and um, Sherry Turkle, who, who's writing about the loss of intimacy. These are not people that are rubbishing the technology but what they are doing is saying i think it's time to get conscious sherry turkle thinks these technologies have come on so fast it wouldn't do humanity any harm to just pause for a moment as a child that goes to meet their parents at school um, at the gate finds that the parent is more interested in their twitter status or and he's giving them a half hello and all that child is reaching out for is just a moment of intimacy a moment of acknowledgement before they run off and you know play with their friends again and that loss of intimacy um, Sherry's book is called uh, Alone Together and we interviewed her recently and you know she's talking about even as we're getting closer together these these technologies give us almost psychic connection there's some kind of isolation that's going with it too and you know it was on Facebook recently how many of your 1000 friends would really be there for you when you needed them and so and some people say you you shouldn't have that expectation and let's stop rubbishing it and saying that these the word friend is meant to be something else now online but I'm just interested in this dual nature of even as the technologies are promising us more intimacy, there's something disconnecting as well. And there's something about watching people, and young people can do this, they're thumb texting in their pockets. And there's something about fingertip connection, I think, that, that sometimes bypasses the heart. And I think it's the heart where our vulnerability actually gives us some kind of reality that might be starting to elude us with some of this technology. I mean, I think the key thing here is to make, is to make it clear that look, those writers I mentioned and myself, there, there are no general uh, rules here saying this stuff is bad for you. If you're completely okay with these technologies, maybe even love them, 
then embrace them, then this stuff isn't for you. But if you started to feel maybe you are a little bit too dependent on these technologies, then then this this kind of approach might be for you. Um, Just to go back to that workshop session that we were sat in, you, you threw us a few little exercises at the beginning of the session just to try and ascertain our, our state of dependence. Can you just go through a couple of those things just for the benefit of the, the listeners and they can maybe do their own little test and see how dependent they are on their devices. Yeah, and one of the, the tests of the exercise is your ability to do without it. That's always been a test of things. Just to have the option of being able to is, is quite important. Actually, one of the simplest ones to try would be, can you actually not take your phone with you to bed? And, and the big excuse everyone gives you is, well, it's my alarm clock. But I think it's a lame excuse. You can get alarm clocks. Do you actually need your computer um, you know, on your lap in bed? So there's some, there's some exercises that are just simple around trying to exist without a computer. The classic one with a computer is actually during that very annoying moment that Windows PCs, well, probably a couple of minutes, are warming up. Um, it's just to set yourself a little list of what it is you actually intend to do on your computer. And then don't beat yourself up if you don't do it. But the chances are when you get to the end of the process, you would have what is sometimes called wilfed which stands for what was I looking for, as instead of reading the email and responding to it, you click on a link that is interesting that takes you to a website where you end up buying something you had no intention of buying or checking out timeshare accommodation in Spain. And then at the end of your hour, you've actually only completed one of the tasks that you were supposed to be doing. Uh, And so I think there are also exercises there where at the end, you then just look back at your list and see how much you actually did achieve that you intended to do. These technologies can distract us the tangents they can take us on can be really exciting, but they can also just little by little sap away at the original will force that we had to, to be masters of these things. So if you feel you're losing mastery over them, I think there are little things you can do to, I suppose, detoxify yourself a bit. Yeah, and, and that surprised a few of the attendees in, in that session. What were a couple of those detox techniques that you were you were putting forward detoxifying ones that are very physical is that if you've been doing a lot of fingertip typing be it on your mobile phone or on your computer is to try and stuck stick your palm of your hand into some clay and recognize that your hand actually has got it's almost like a human body on it reflexologists talk about that fingertips are very very subtle and it's quite scary that apparently now people are losing sensual awareness on the end of their fingertips because a bit like craftsmen it's becoming too hardened from too mm. much typing so have a have a go at uh, engaging with the whole palm of your hand and press into it and you'll realize actually that fingertip communication gets you too much in your head uh, whereas you know pressing your feet firmly on the ground and your your hands firmly into clay it seems to be more of a whole body thing and for some of you you might find it it, it feels like you're recovering a bit of the self that you lose when you're attention is just too much in a tiny bit of your body which is fingertips so with mobile phones you can almost perch in any position and be tapping away so that's the problem is yeah i mean you only have to look on i was on a train today people are probably unaware that 90 percent of their train journey is on that device and actually every time they put it away within a second within five seconds ten seconds that the damn thing is out again and um, mayor culper on this one as well I think when, what was what was interesting when when we had that session was your your diagnostic phase uh, at the start as we warmed up the attendees. Where I, th- I think you, you started off, you had us just just sitting there with the device in our hand while you were talking, and then you said, "Okay, put it down, put it down on your knee, and take your hand off it." 
how long can you last before you feel the overwhelming urge to reach out and either yeah. just, just touch it or stroke it or, or pick it up. Yeah, and there was something there about there's a gesture that is, I, I guess if you want to reclaim yourself and reclaim your mobile phone, it goes back to the days of craftsmen sitting over their tools. And they very, very much, there are lots of pictures of them sitting forward and leaning over it. Um, and what tends to happen is that if you are just sitting, usually in a slouch position, and you, your mobile phone buzzes and you just pull it towards you, you're already behaving as if it's just already attached to your hand like a prosthesis. And actually, if you want to gain control of it, what you actually need to do is put a little bit of will effort. Sit up, sit forward, pick the thing up. You bring it towards you. Look at it, kind of acknowledge it as a thing before you use it. That might sound a bit kind of mad or even, you know, just clumsy. But what it does is it re-establishes separation between you as tool user and the tool itself. When you don't do that and you start to behave as if it's just part of your hand, again, that little bit of consciousness goes. And if you're at ease with that, it's fine. But if you're starting to feel this thing's dominating my life, then what you probably have to do is put back in place a bit of controlled separation between you and it. So it becomes an it again. Mm. Didn't we have a few people in that session where you, you put the question, who, who, you know, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? And how many people um, confessed that it was pick up the mobile phone and see if they had any messages or check their Twitter or their Facebook before they've even got out of bed, some of them? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they do. And, and the clever thing about the mobile phone alarm clock is that it buzzes nicely, probably these days with, you know, Buddhist temple ch um, chimes or something like that. You know, there's some great apps for that. But as you pick it up to switch it off, rather cleverly, your text messages are already there waiting to be read. You know, there's a lot of alerts on a screen that are inviting you before you turn to your loved one and say good morning is to do the more important stuff like, you know, find out who's responded to you on Twitter. It, it all feels a bit upside down to me. Do I sound like a grumpy old man here? No. Well, it's difficult for me to tell because I am the master of uh, old curmudgeons on this show. So <laughs> you? you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. well, I guess I'm saying that because it does sound like, you know, some older generation saying this stuff's crap. And, and it really isn't that. I think this stuff is so great. And I think this is what Sherry Turkle points out. It's so great. And it's come in such an avalanche that actually there's a danger we're in kind of future shock. We're not embracing it in a very conscious way, and it might be good to put some separation just so we can look at it. And actually, we might be able to get more and better things out of it if we take a breather. And, and it's, it's interesting what you say about the, the avalanche and the future shock, because one of the uh, questions you then put to that group was about um, who's, who's actually comfortable with this. I, I call it obsessive-compulsive behavior. Yeah. Um, and and you, you asked the question around the, around the room, who's who's actually comfortable with this obsessive behavior and the number of people who who some of whom were mature parents you know our age and older who said no they they they, they hated the the fact that they were so dependent on this gadget in their hand and yet they couldn't put it down and that's the paradox of it and that's that's where it, it's one of those things where we could polarize it and say it's it, you either use it or you don't or we tread a much harder path it's a much more difficult path that requires a bit of effort which is to say how do i re-establish conscious control out of it without actually throwing it out of the window I, I kind of sat there in that group thinking that maybe i was a little bit strange because I, I, maybe i i went through my obsessive compulsive phase when i was in my 20s with computers and, and constantly had something 
something on the go. The phone yeah. is is entirely different. I I don't have this. I well, I have this love hate relationship with it because I constantly seem to trip over the bits of software that have been really badly designed. I, I somehow I I have got that degree of separation there. So I, I don't carry a watch, but I've always got the phone on me. <laughs> Well, nearly always got the phone on me. I'll come back to that. And I use my, my phone as my alarm clock because it's the only the only alarm clock I've got in the house which actually wakes me up. I think it's a psychological thing. When the phone goes off, I really know I have to get up. But when I go to bed, I put mine on flight mode. I don't get any tweets, emails, or anything else coming through. It's purely there as the alarm clock. But the more we sat in that workshop session, the more I was starting to think I was slightly strange and abnormal because I can actually switch the thing off. For example, yesterday I left the phone in the car twice, didn't miss it until I realized that um, my young lady hadn't been able to text me to say, where are you? And two days before that, I left the phone in the car three times. The day before that, I actually left it in the house when I went out and had to turn around and come back for it. (laughs) So it is obviously possible... (laughs) to not get quite so attached to these things but it, it's it, it's that an acquired skill do you think well there's, there's an expression i heard from a friend paul miller um called benevolent entanglement and i think that's maybe what you've managed to um successfully avoid benevolent entanglement at its worst has always been where your plumber or your builder you know gets you involved in a relationship with them where they keep coming back and charging you more and you keep thanking them for the help they're giving you and it can happen when you, you know, if you get someone else to design your website, but you've got to keep phoning them up every time you want to add a bit of content to it. You know, that's a bit of an old thing now, but, you know, that, that's benevolent entanglement. Facebook has got very sticky properties where, you know, you're drawn back to it all the time. And the concept of you are not a gadget is that, that Facebook isn't the gadget. Facebook has very, very cleverly designed something where it's actually the users who behave like gadgets. And we've agreed to be locked down to a design on a Facebook page. And the inbox is where it is and the color scheme is where it is. Facebook knows how we're going to behave. It it sets our privacy settings to suit itself, and make, knowing that we're probably going to find it quite hard to switch them off or even find how to do that. Facebook wants us to behave in predictable ways, and largely we do. Now, that, again, might suit you. It really doesn't suit me. I don't want to be the gadget. So if these are tools, I want them to be tools I take out, use, and I put away when I want. I don't want to think that I can't ever put them away. And the time is fast approaching where these tools are going to be impregnated into us in the form of tattoos, in the form of chips under our fingertips, and all this science fiction is coming true. And turning them off may actually become impossible. And again, just looking into that future, it's for you to decide whether you want it. And even if you decide, yes, I do want it, do you want it at the pace it's coming? Because it's not at the pace that you're determining. It's coming at the pace of product life cycles that are designed to, I'm going to be honest, relieve you of as much of your money as possible at as more and more regular intervals in the name of innovation. Isn't that the real driver, though? It is is commerce. We we have laid ourselves at, at the feet of commerce, and we'll. Whereas many years ago we used to believe in kings and queens and Victoria, the Empress of India. Now it's it's the 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 overlordship of the big brands. And for me, the the sadness of that mediocrity is that some of my closest friends, the greatest act of revolution they have ever done, and perhaps will ever do in their life, has been to hold off getting the latest iPhone if they don't want to be caught up. 
or even worse, to, to switch away from horrible Apple to an Android. That's their big high point. Mm. And, you know, that somehow for me smacks somehow disappointing in a world where the world's falling apart and some, some people are saying. Um, it is interesting. I would suggest that some of the, the strongest physical acts of rebellion are still taking in places where this technology isn't as available. It's still being used, I guess, by the planners of it, but the revolutionaries are probably not sitting on Facebook for 23 hours a day. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of takes, takes me off onto a, a couple of other things that you've, you've got on the go. You, you mentioned collusion, and I noted that there are parts of your book up on the Cats 3000 site yeah. Um, the book Collusion of Mediocrity, which I think is a fantastic title. I've got. I, I'm. I'm really pleased this uh, with this episode of the show. I've got two authors who've come up with really good titles because um, we're going to follow this with Becky Hogg, who wrote Barefoot into Cyberspace. But I think the Collusion of Mediocrity is a fantastic title. But that that book is, dare I say, it, a little bit amorphous and. Uh, you you admit is not exactly complete and may may never be complete yeah i think that the, the the nature of it is that i have a paradox which is the the nature of the collusion of mediocrity without spending too much time on it is it's the unspoken kind of agreement between people because sometimes honesty can be uncomfortable so you accept mediocrity because it keeps you in the in the safe zone the thing is that even when you do become honest and people are honest with people I think you just get to another level of collusion. And level two of the collusion is what I call false revelation, where these days there's lots and lots of honesty, but it becomes an excuse for just being honest and moaning and not actually taking action. And I'm worried that the book will just become a level two collusion. (laughs) (laughs) So what I've done is the book is just evolving, actually interestingly online, and people are adding to it and I'm adding to it. And it might take paper form. It's not a problem to get a book like that published. But I'm quite up for the idea that, you know, stories are going to be added to it. And so it is kind of evolving amorphously because I'm hoping then it will fly under the radar of its own potential mediocrity. <laughs> that sounded really up its own arse. Apologies to anyone listening. <laughs> well, if you're going to write on mediocrity, that is the, the, the trap you have to avoid falling into. Yeah. Well, just to, to bring us uh, almost full circle, if, if you pardon the I don't use that one very often on this show. One of the expressions of the, the, the theories that you came out with in, in Learning to Dance with Spiders was the theatre piece that you mentioned at the beginning, Texts, which um, there was a performance on at the Critical Incident, which, yeah. which, I, which I saw. And, but that, I think, showed a lot of the people at the conference in a very emotionally engaging way some of the pitfalls of falling into the lap of technology. How's, how's that play um, developing now so actually the version you saw was pretty finished at one level it was a play about two people whose relationship in you might say the physical world had started to falter years ago but what they were doing in their routine of work and and texting each other from trains and so on was becoming ever more intimate online um, on the phone particularly and that's where people get to this place where there are more virtual kisses than real ones and and then little by little you don't notice the decline but what we're just hoping to do with it is the next step and it's a, i suppose it is an ex- experiment in theater is um these are 
part of this play is text conversations between two people that we project onto the wall. But we'd like to make it real in the theatre that they're actually on real devices texting for real. And the possibility that when the audience comes in, they're all given a mobile device. And they can also follow the text conversations by looking at the screen and looking at the live theatre, which creates a new challenge that I think is there, is there in the world. What's more interesting to you, the, the screen or the thing that's before you? So it would be a piece of theatre that actually tries to mirror the same thing that the characters on stage have actually got in their, in their characters. When, when does the virtual world serve us and when does it actually enslave us? I guess that's part of it. And, and in the case of text, it's a tragedy really because what it is is that people flee into a last gasp attempt to um, revive their relationships by being more intimate through their fingertips um, and through the keyboard. And I think it's nearly always doomed to failure. But I'd really love to hear from anybody, anyone listening in, to say, no, it's not. This is a new opportunity for us. There's a new romantic movement that's going to come through Facebook and mobile phone texting. I've yet to be convinced of that. <laughs> oh, you, 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 haven't, uh, you haven't been watching the videos of Facebook weddings on, on YouTube then? You know, I've seen them and, you know, people have been married in Second Life and divorced in Second Life, you know, the <laughs> virtual world, and somebody sued themselves because they found somebody cheating on Second Life and all of this stuff is, again, come to come back to Sherry Turkle, it's a melting pot where the technological possibilities are running ahead of our consciousness to cope with them. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I can top that one, particularly given that my consciousness generally runs behind everything else at this time of night. I'm, I'm going to say thank you very much then in that case. I don't think I can top that one. And anything that I say after that is going to fall into that uh, collusion of mediocrity. So I'm going to quit while we're ahead. <laughs> well, it is funny that, you know, you're interviewing me here on Skype and we're, we're staring into laptops. Uh, and, you know, maybe in the past we'd have met for real. Okay, thank you very much, Paul. See you again soon. Thank you very much. Good night. Paul Levy's website combines Cats 3000 and Rational Madness at rationalmadness.wordpress.com, where you will also find the ebook The Collusion of Mediocrity. The Critical Incident Unconference for 2012 has been announced on the theme of The Eye. Take a look over the conference plan for this year over at the Critical Incident website, www.thecriticalincident.com. With more interviews coming up on the Full Circle podcast very soon. For now, I'm Robin Catling. Thank you for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.